Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast, Las Vegas Raiders Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. It's a great day to be great. And I'm joined by Fantasy Life Director of Analytics, all-around baller, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, we're talking Raiders. What's up, man? We're talking Raiders. It's summertime. We're drafting best ball teams. Like, you know, come on, Ian. It's a great day to be great as you... As, as this once, uh, you know, this really great person I know, I don't <laughs> forgot his name. It might, oh, it's you, it's Ian Harditz. Yeah, definitely. Great sorry, I got into the intro, man. We've done freaking uh, probably a thousand of these together in, uh, in the last, <laughs> last 30 or so. We're starting to get down to the intro. So, one more time, it is a great day to be great. And with that, let's get after it as we have been doing on all 32 of these podcasts. Gonna walk through some of the coaching and roster changes first before we break down each and every fantasy relevant player at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So, invite you guys to check these all out if you have the time. Rest assured, we will be, you know, doing some just again more traditional fantasy football preview stuff as we get into july and august so whatever your level of uh you know content you want is we have it so gotta love that and gotta love well gotta kind of like the raiders maybe not even like them honestly Dwayne, i think this team's gonna be really bad this year let's uh put it that way if you do look at the offense josh mcdaniel's coming over last season did continue to see not exactly the most pass-heavy group. When you got Tom Brady under center, guess what? You're going to be throwing the rock a lot. But in the last three offenses that McDaniels has been coordinating, haven't exactly seen that. We had the 2020 Cam Newton-led Patriots, 32nd in pass rate over expected. Mac Jones in 2021, they were 27th. Even last year with Derek Carr, just 19th with the Raiders. So this is an offense that could very well still be a run-heavy unit, but we do have to break into new quarterback. And, you know, I would say, Dwayne, that's probably the biggest factor here going from Carr to hopefully Jimmy Garoppolo. More on that in just a bit. That seems to be the issue here with, again, the lowered expectations because when you look at what the Raiders were able to do on offense last year versus what the projected to do this year not looking so good for mcdaniels and company yeah last year you know i mean josh mcdaniels gets a lot of crap and i I don't know how much credit we can give him for this but they were pretty good they were 11th and the number of drives converted into a touchdown you know last year so like just looking at the percentage of drives that end with a touchdown the raiders were at 23 percent so they were above you know the league average in that bucket and they and they did some nice thing and five you know they were fifth and the percentage of their drives ending with a score, right? So now you're including field goals as well. So there were positive for, positives for the Raiders, but to your point, things have changed a little bit. You've got Derek Carr gone. You've got Jimmy G in. And one of the things that the books seem to be pointing to, uh, there were four teams that were at a 10% change as in a loss being down from what they scored last year versus their projected points per game in 2023 and the Raiders were one of those teams at minus 10%. So Vegas is coming out and saying that they don't think the Raiders are going to be as good as they were last year. Um, Not big favorites in any of the games that I'm looking at across the board. So they play in a conference though, where they're, if, if they can somehow get the offense going, there's an opportunity for a lot of shootouts because you're going to have to play the Chargers who throw the ball all the time. are going to put pressure on you. Obviously the chiefs, you've got to score points against the chiefs. Um, We'll talk about the Broncos, I know, you know, in a separate show, but they're a team that also could be better this year. So that's a positive for them, but I'm with you. It's like, I I look at the offense and I look at, you know, the things that, you know, Josh McDaniels has done. And I'm just like, I kind of just scratch my head. Like, is he just trying to put back together the team he had with the rate with the, the Patriots, you know, several years ago, which wasn't even really, you know, it's not like 
we had a great offense with Josh McDaniels outside of the times that he had Tom Brady. So it's a bit of a head scratcher, you know, with some of the additions with Garoppolo, with Jacoby Myers and things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I wouldn't say that I think they're going to be terrible, but I definitely do expect, you know, the offense to not be quite as good as what we saw last year. I don't like when you spend major money major money on guys because they know the system Dwayne. you know it helps if you need a backup here and there okay but not pennies here not pennies here brought back jimmy garoppolo three years 72 million dollar deal we'll talk more about the intricacies of that in just a second and even brian hoyer man brian hoyer got 4.2 million guaranteed in this two-year deal brian hoyer is making elite running back money at this point he turns why not keep jared stidham seriously i don't know the young guy that came on and showed you something at the end of the year in your system and you're going to get rid of him for basically, didn't he sign for five mil with Denver? Yeah, I'm about to say like, okay, he did get a decent amount of money with the Broncos. He got two years, five million or two years, 10 million with 5 million guaranteed. You gave Brian Hoyer 4 million guaranteed. How did Brian mm-hmm. Hoyer get 4 million guaranteed? And everyone just lives their life. Like it didn't happen, Dwayne. It's <laughs> absolutely ridiculous to me. So I don't get that. Nothing is going on at running back, but they also don't have Josh Jacobs signed just yet. He does have until, I believe, July 15th to get that franchise tag signed, but we'll talk about that more. And then otherwise, we saw Mac Hollins actually, you know, impress, I think, relative to what we were thinking last year. He joined the Falcons, and they replaced him with Jacoby Myers. They also signed Cam Sims, DeAndre Carter, another former Patriot, and Philip Dorsett. And then, you know, to swap out Darren Waller for Austin Hooper, O.J. Howard, and Michael Mayer, also lost Foster Moreau. It's a lot lot of moves Dwayne that aren't exactly needle movers out here so again I'm not saying this free agency and the draft is like an F or anything for the Raiders we're not going to know what the grade is for a couple years but I'm underwhelmed man and again there's too much of that for me of a hey let's get the band back together here when you know shocker the band wasn't all that good over these past few years anyway yeah no I, I I thought that was a great summary. I don't really need to add anything to it. I think the the overalls, when you look at all these things and you add them up, you're just kind of like, eh? Like you just kind of scratch your head. I don't I don't see any real progress being made. All right, let's move right on to the positions then. Starting off with that aforementioned QB room with Jimmy Garoppolo and four million guaranteed man Brian Hoyer out here. So everything with Jimmy was fine. He signs with the Raiders. He gets his three-year $72 million deal. You know, the Raiders were still rumored to be trying to trade up to number one. Couldn't quite get it done. He is a fine veteran quarterback who does know the system, admittedly, and you can actually win football games with them. Look at what Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers have done over the past few years. And in fantasy land, Dwayne, like he's been a solid QB2, QB19 last year in fantasy points per game, QB17 before that, had some low end QB2 finishes before that. The big question with Jimmy G is what exactly is his health? Because as we found out in May, he did undergo offseason foot surgery and they actually took an extra day unbeknownst to us in March. You know, beat writers had other stuff to worry about, like players gaining five pounds or something like that. Couldn't quite get us the actual, you know, contract details that basically said, Without penalty, they can release him without penalty for quote unquote any reason involving his foot, but his 22.5 million salary becomes fully guaranteed once he passes a physical exam, is active for at least one game, and does not suffer re injury to his left foot. So, 
with this in mind, Dwayne, again, it's more of a shock, I think, because this all came out of nowhere in May. But when they asked Josh McDaniels about it, like he said he's not worried about it and said specifically he has no anxiety surrounding Garoppolo's status because the Raiders have known about this since March. So again, it's tough to know sometimes when we have stuff trickle out and you know we're trying to work with all the information we got. Like I understand why this was something that we had to adjust the ranks for and you know, re-kind of file our expectations, but look. I really don't think that they want to go into week one with Brian Hoyer and fourth round rookie Aiden O'Connell under center. I am expecting Jimmy G to recover and be ready to go in week one. Is that how you're seeing the situation, Dwayne? Yeah, to me, it just feels like something unexpected, even though they say, oh, no, we knew everything. Yeah, but as they learn the information, it was enough to make them put the clause in the contract, right? But... Having said that, to your point, with where they are right now, what do we think the Raiders want? I think they have their fingers crossed big time that Jimmy G is ready and they would rather not, you know, have to deal with a, a season like to your point of, you know, Brian Hoyer being their starting quarterback. So I think that's their goal. And they kind of covered themselves with the way I, I'm kind of surprised Jimmy G signed all the language that we've heard about. Like he's kind of screwed if something happens to that foot and it's a re-injury. Um, it's one thing to say, hey, uh, if I'm not ready, right, and I can't pass, you know, uh, a, a physical that, you know, you're going to cut me. That That's one thing. But to say that if there's a re-injury, like that part, like, was kind of surprising to me. But when I look at Garoppolo, like, I'll be interested to get your take because, like, there's a couple things with him. You know, number one, like, his efficiency has always been really good. But he plays in the 49ers offense, right? Where there's so much design going on. You're getting a pop pass to, to Debo Samuel for three yards. that goes for 10. That counts towards your yards per attempt, right? Um, but at the same time, we've also seen Jimmy Garoppolo make good throws, you know, to to guys downfield like Brandon Ayuk. We've also seen him miss wide open players like Marquise Goodwin in a Super Bowl, and maybe who knows that might have won the game for the 49ers. Emmanuel uh, Sanders, but Emmanuel there. Sanders, yeah. Sorry, Marquise Goodwin. Yeah, going back too far. Yeah, Emmanuel Sanders. Yep. Good, good correction, Ian. Um, but Garoppolo's been a very he's a, a very accurate quarterback. Like so. Like stylistically, I feel like this is pretty close to Derek Carr. Like as long as he can be healthy, but that's the other question. Like this, this I mean, these are six. Here's his completion percentages: 67, 68, 67, 69. Uh, then he had a three-game season with 60 the year before. He had six games, and this is with the Patriot. No, this was 49ers 67. And then he had the six games he played in New England in 2016 when Tom Brady missed time, and he had a 68% completion rate. And that so, was with McDaniel's, to be fair. And that, yeah, that was with him. So. And then efficiency yards per attempt, even back then in New England, not just the 49ers scheme. That was an eight yards per attempt. And then with the 49ers, 8.8, 8.1, 8.4, 7.8, 8.6, 7.9. The question with Garoppolo, right? There's two questions. One is health. Like he's just almost never finishes a season. 11 games, 15 games, six games, 16 games. But the other is like, if you ask him to throw more, right, than what you're asking him. When we look at what the Raiders are projected to do this year, how many games they're projected to win, like they're going to be in some losing scripts. They're going to have to throw the ball more. The question is, can can the efficiency sustain if this offense has to throw the ball more than what he is used to with the 49ers where he gets so much aid from the running game, from play action, from the schemed up plays? That's where I struggled with him. Um but I, I, I'll be honest, like, I couldn't just totally crap on the guy, Ian. I couldn't just pick, man, I'm going to give you seven yards per attempt. Like, that, I couldn't do that. Now, I didn't give him eight. I didn't give him 7.9. But I put him at 7.4. Like, and then, you know, when you look at the game script the Raiders are going to be in, I think potentially Jimmy G, like, 
if he plays 12 to 13 games, like he's one of these guys that's basically going undrafted right now on underdog that if you're just totally in a jam at the end of your draft and you know, you need a third quarterback or maybe God forbid, you still need your second quarter. Cause some of these drafts go weird where all of a sudden people just take all the backups in the middle rounds and you're like, uh, well, like, what am I going to do? Like you may have your quarterback one, but I will take Jimmy G in that pinch in the last round, him and Ryan Tannehill are two of the names I turn to when that happens to me. Because a lot of times in those scenarios, like the Sam Howells, the Brock Purdy's, they're gone, like because everything moves up on you. So I do like some things about Garoppolo's game. I did downgrade all of his efficiency numbers, some assuming that this offense isn't as good as the 49ers and they do have to throw the ball a little bit more. But I'm I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is a complete dud, especially for best ball. Before this injury stuff popped up, before his ADP accordingly cratered, I mean, I thought he was at the bottom of kind of that long QB2 tier pocket passers. You can put him next to guys like Derek Carr, like Matthew Stafford, like Bryce, not not Bryce Young, like uh, Brock Purdy. And I think it's pretty reasonable. And to your point, he's free at the end of drafts right now because of this uncertainty with the foot injury. So I'm with you. Definitely not going out of my way for him. But when I've been able to, you know, draft a fellow faller in Devontae Adams, you know, early round two, a couple times even, yeah, I'll go ahead and stack it up with Jimmy G there at the very end. It's not like we're relying on him to be our QB one. And once week one does come around and we see Jimmy G is a starting quarterback, like he's not going to be the QB 31 out there, Dwayne. I think we're going to have to put him in that low end QB two category. So from that standpoint, he has a value. And as much as, you know, we can look at some of these stats and say like, oh, that's exactly why we can't you know base our entire quarterback rankings behind those stats style points don't matter in fantasy football and jimmy g like you listed those yards per attempt numbers combine them all number one all time in yards per attempt at 8.3 <laughs> among all quarterbacks with at least 50 starts since that 1970 merger. So yeah, Jimmy G again, you look at him and you can pull out the numbers, him under pressure, the play breaks down. It gets ugly quickly, but Hey, the fact that he is back with, with a coach who has gotten, you know, more out of him than we've seen. In the past, I do think Jimmy G's just average arbitrage scenario. What he's ar- to me, he's arbitrage Stafford, Tar? arbitrage Jared Goff, Car, yeah, yeah. Car, huh. yeah. I- I've got him at over sixteen points per game. Like he fits right in that tier, you know, of like you know does have to rely on pl- passing. He's going to need some efficiency for things to work out. Going to have some games where you're just going to be like, wow, that sucked. Two hundred twenty-five yards and no touchdowns. Thanks, Jimmy. But then there's going to be games that are going to pop up, you know, where he's going to have his 250 yards and throw three touchdowns. So uh, with Jimmy G, yeah, I think he's a guy I, I, I've taken multiple times at the end of the draft in the scenario we talked about. And if we get better news on his health, right, as we approach the season and we feel better and better, like say suddenly he's playing in a preseason game, something like that, then I would definitely be looking at, okay, where do I need to move him up to? Like I would probably move him up right around Derek Carr, Kenny Pickett, Mac Jones, right around that. And like, some of these signings they've made, they're talking about Renfro and if Renfro's still going to be on the team, which it seems like 50-50 at this point. Talking about Renfro and Jacoby Myers being, you know, this new kind of 2023 version of Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman. I mean, having Devontae freaking Adams out there, not even in that conversation matters. Like, this offense does have places to go with the ball. You mentioned it, 11 touchdown rate last year. I don't think we're putting all that on Derek Carr's back. So yeah, man, it's one of those things where Jimmy G versus Derek Carr, like I think it's pretty close. I'd probably give Carr the slight nod. I think he can create a little bit better off script than what Jimmy G can, but yeah, close. I think we can all agree on that. And guess what? Their ADPs right now, not close at all. Don't be afraid to get that literally 18th round free QB two or QB three for the squad backfield. 
Josh Jacobs, Zamir White, Amir Abdullah, Brandon Bolden still got those guys hanging around. Look, Josh Jacobs was incredible last year. 2,053 total yards. I mean, led the league in touches. And when you just look at his ability to create yards after contact and break tackles, I mean, you can argue he was the single best running back in the league last year. I've seen some people take a look at those numbers and say, oh, well, if you look at running backs after having these big workloads, you know, all of them are coming crashing down. So many issues with that. I've even seen some people count Le'Veon Bell's holdout year against him, you know, and the actual stats going on. So be better, fellow fantasy content uh, people out there. And I just think, again, those studies, we actually talked to him, Dwayne, our former PFF employee, Tay Seth, and, you know, some of the stuff he's been able to do. Historically, there just isn't any advanced data that tells us that guys are going to fall off a cliff following a single season of big time usage. When we do see running backs hit 1,500 career carries, we do start to see their rushing yards over expectation start to steadily decline. But even that isn't so much saying you're going to be more injury prone. It's just saying it's going to be tougher for these running backs with all that wear and tear to consistently beat expectations. So with Jacobs, I mean, again, he can be a little bit worse this year than he was last year. And if he's going to lead the league in touches again, you're not going to see this dude finish outside the position's top five fantasy scorers. So yeah, I guess it's not a given McDaniels is going to feed him quite as much as last year, but when they go through the entire offseason, they don't make any more investments to the position. The question comes down to Dwayne, like, is he going to actually be out there on the field or are we going to see a holdout? Because if we can get Jacobs out there in week one, everything's good. He's a member of the Raiders. Like, I don't know how you keep him out of the position's top five. Yeah. I mean, he's only going to be 25.6 when the season starts. I mean, he's got 1,072 career rushing attempts, 1,232 career touches. I mean, that's all regular season stuff. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see the red flags with Jacobs. The only concern is whether or not he signed. Like, he was an absolute beast last year. Uh, you know, not just from a utilization perspective, you kind of alluded to all that. When you have 340 attempts, guess what? You have a huge rush share. You know, you're you're pretty much not leaving the field. But what I what I liked Ian was just like he had the major bounce back and efficiency. You know, we had seen a little bit of a down year the year before, which was part of why people downgraded him in 2022. Plus, people thought, man, it's just never going to work with the passing down role. And while he didn't completely take that over, Amir Abdullah and Brandon Bolden still got some of that work last year. Still, he got to 53% route participation. Right. So, yeah, not not at the level of a McCaffrey, 71 percent, not at the level of, you know, a Saquon Barkley at 65 percent. But the next tier down. Right. You know, not everybody can have, you know, all the roles on a team, um, you know, like what we get to see with some of those other guys that have those huge passing down roles. But when you pair that with, you know, all the work he had on the ground, he counted for 81 accounted for 81 percent of the team's rushing Ooh. attempts last year like that was number one in the league number two was jonathan taylor and this is in the games they were available jonathan taylor was 76 percent derrick henry was just ahead of him at 77 percent. so he was in the top three for that i don't think it's gonna change to your point when we just look at the depth chart and how well jacobs played last year man like talking going back to those efficiency numbers 26 percent missed tackles force per attempt that's one of the best in the league that's that's nick chubb-esque um, Ian, and we've seen him do that in the past. That's the thing. Jacobs, yes, he had a, a little bit of an off year before that, but we've seen him post these big kind of numbers and yards after contact, explosive rush rate, all those things well above the league average. So I think you've got a player that's in their prime, showed they could get on the field more in the passing game. And we've seen a coach show that, well, you know, I'm just willing to go all in and give Jacobs this huge workload. I think the only question is the potential holdout. And I just don't know how much leverage these running backs have. 
I, I get it. I, I wish that they could get paid more. I wish that they could get paid when they're younger. Um, I get also why teams don't want to, right? I understand. Like when you look at the analytics, you look at the data, I, I get it. The, the amount that a running back adds to your win total overall is not significant. Um, but in the end, looking at Jacobs just as a fantasy performer, we don't care about any of that. <laughs> like he does grade out above his peers in pretty much every single way. So I don't know how worried you are, but I, I feel like all the leverage really sits with the Raiders and that Jacobs is going to have to sign something. I, you know, I mean, I know he's talked about wanting to hold out or was it him or Barkley that said, no, it's not oh. just about me. It's about the next generation. I was about to read that. Josh Jacobs has been active on Twitter as he has yeah. been over the years, you know, noted hater of fantasy football, which I don't blame him. Quit adding these players, guys. It's fine to talk about them. Just don't add them. But Jacobs tweeted, sometimes it's not about you. We got to do it for the ones after us. And then also sent out a bad business tweet. That said, Dwayne, I have seen some reports from The Athletic indicating both sides are motivated to get a deal done before that July 15th deadline for what it's worth. Yeah, so I, I'm drafting him. As I'm not worried about it right now, Ian. You're getting him. You're getting him in the early third round, mid third. Sometimes he'll slide a little past that. Like if you get in draft where you've got multiple multiple people afraid, you know, around the holdout. So I, I've been drafting Josh Jacobs just because I, I feel like the reward is significant enough, right? In round three to to take the risk on him. Now, if we get deeper and deeper, you know, into this situation, and it looks like it is going to be that long drawn out, you know, holdout, then, you know, we can, we can change our minds a little bit with where, with where we are right now. I'm, I'm very comfortable drafting him in round three. This dude almost had 400 touches last year. He had over 2000 yards. We can get him in round three. This is not normal, man. Like no. I'm telling you. And, and you know, what's funny is I don't, I don't even know how much of the reason Josh Jacobs is going in round three is actually even tied to his holdout. I think it's really right now tied to the fact that wide receiver ADPs are off the freaking chain. And here's why I say that, because we have guys like Derrick Henry, Ramondre Stevenson, Tony Pollard, all going around Josh Jacobs. Now, maybe Jacobs climbs just in front of that group, like if, if you have no concerns about a holdout, but Saquon Barkley is going in the middle of round two. So it's something else with Josh Jacobs's pro profile that's keeping people from wanting to pull the trigger on him, you know, in round two. It, it is bizarre. Like, this is not something that you would have seen five years ago. The guy that was a top two back last year in fantasy football, and you can get him in round three, he would have been a top three pick. And I'm not saying that's necessarily right either. With all the things that we know now and all, all the data that we've analyzed, like, I think you can make an argument that, like, a guy like Josh Jacobs shouldn't just blindly go in the top three picks like what we would have seen five seasons ago. But like to have him in round three, that's pretty crazy to me. The RB12 this year is Najee Harris. He's going to pick 37. The RB12, the last three years before that, was going to pick 21, pick 17, and pick 15. I've been taking Josh Jacobs plenty of times in round three. And again, it's not, I'm not even feeling the need, Dwayne, to prioritize him there, but him, Brees Hall, Ramondre Stevenson, Derrick Henry, sometimes Tony Pollard, any of those guys, I'm taking them ahead of a mid-tier wide receiver too, and I'm not sorry about it. Yeah, I'm mixing all those guys up. With all that said, Dwayne, let's say there is an issue with the contract. Let's say all those round three Josh Jacobs teams become sad, sad June mistakes. Samir White is going to be the guy that benefits. And I'm not saying that we're going to cross out Jacobs' name in round three and put Zamir White there. But my God, man. Like, okay, Josh Jacobs, he says, I'm sitting out the season. I'm done. Or maybe the Raiders trade him or any number of things happens where Josh Jacobs is not playing football. Like, 
Zamir would be going in the top 36 running backs. Like, I think he'd be going alongside those Washington guys. Worst case, and he is literally free right now at the end of draft. So, again, the magic date is July 15th. I don't blame any of you if you have lives, you know, and you don't want to do fantasy drafts before July 15th. But for those of you out there, you know, in the streets like Dwayne and I, man, I've really been trying to get behind Zamir more in round eight, round 18, Dwayne, because as we found out last year, I mean, that one week where we had Josh Jacobs, Still the only time I can remember this happening, but Jacobs misses the team's flight on Friday and then gets on another one on Saturday and ends up playing his usual role. But, you know, Zamir was the guy that we wanted in that situation. We have gotten a little bit of offseason hype speculating that he could have that bigger role. I mean, look, again, I don't think he gets close to Jacobs' role. I think Amir Abdullah, and to a lesser extent, Bolden, would be taking away that pass-down work. But I think White could still be getting 15-plus touches per week in the absence of Jacobs. And so, again, round 18, it's hard to even find a bad pick that late, and especially when it's a guy who has this ongoing situation. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it's worth it. And here's the thing. Even if all of a sudden you hear, wow, Josh Jacobs signed. Great. I, I still think Zamir White is the handcuff to Josh Jacobs, and you're getting him with the last pick in your draft. Like, I think you could easily make an argument that I, I feel better about the fact that Zamir White is the true cuff to Jacobs than Ty Chandler is to Alexander Madison. I agree. Like, I don't know. Like, Dwayne Washington, I get it, seventh-round pick, but much more stylistically in the vein of Alexander Madison, and we could see a rotation there. Um, I just feel like there are other backfields where we know less about who the true handcuff is than Zamir White. Like, the, the two that I've been pulling the trigger on the most here lately are Zamir White and Pierre Strong Jr. for the Patriots. Yep. Those have been the two that the very last round, I'm like, okay, what do I, I need a running back. I, I didn't start off strong, so I want to have six on this roster. Those are two names that I've been clicking on quite often. Moving on to wide receiver, we got Devontae Adams, Kobe Myers, and Hunter Renfro. Also round three, wide receiver Trey Tucker. Not expecting too much out of there. I do think he could be a bit more gadgety. Didn't even make the uh, wide receiver supermodel, Dwayne, so I'm guessing that the uh, pre-draft prospects for Tucker were not fantastic. So... Not going to judge the guy until we see him play some NFL snaps, but certainly not someone on our radar at this moment. Looking at Devontae Adams, 180 targets last season. Only Justin Jefferson had more, as we saw in that you know late-season 49ers game with Jared Stidham under center. Still plenty capable of putting up big numbers even without Derek Carr. So with Jimmy G... I see the concern that maybe he spreads things out a little bit more, but that was also an offenses that necessitated, necessitated, however the hell you say that word. He had George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk out there, Christian McCaffrey. Of course, he's going to spread the ball out more, but at some point, man, you got to give him a little bit of credit for enabling these guys to some pretty damn big seasons. I mean, I know Debo was getting a lot of it after the catch and same thing with George Kittle, but you know, at some point, again, Jimmy G, first in NFL history in yards per attempt. I don't think he's the best quarterback ever, but Probably a good stat, Dwayne, that tells us he isn't complete garbage out there. So from that potential, it's just like Adams, who last year certainly still looked like one of, if not the single best wide receivers in the league. How far can you drop him in the ranks with the Jimmy G issue going on? For me, I still think he is locked in as a top six wide receiver, but you can actually get him now sometimes at the beginning of round two, going behind Garrett Wilson, C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown. Look, that was not happening before the Jimmy G situation popped up. So if we talked earlier, Dwayne, about us not really being all that concerned about it, that would make Adams a pretty big value here sitting as the wide receiver nine over underdog fantasy. Yeah, so here are my thoughts on Adams. If we knew Jimmy G was starting the year and is going to be healthy, he should be going probably as the wide receiver six 
off the yep. board, he would be in my tier with Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, and Tyreek Hill, right? Like these are veterans that have not shown any signs of dropping off yet that are absolute target monsters. He still fits that description. He'll, he would be the oldest one in the group at 30.7 years old. But when people go on and on about the age, I mean, come on, really, guys, you're not bitching about Cooper Cup and he's going to be 30.3. Like that, there's not a big difference between those two players. So I think that's where Devontae Adams belongs. That's where I had him. I did drop him to the bottom of my next tier, which has C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown, and Amon Ross St. Brown, just based on the Jimmy G stuff. Now, if that works itself out, I'm going to move Devontae Adams back up. But there's enough risk there that I'm fine. For sure, I'm taking C.D. Lamb over him, right? For sure, I'm taking A.J. Brown over him. I think after that, I, actually, for sure, I'm taking C.D. Lamb. Even in this tier, I think you could make an argument. Still take Devontae Adams over A.J. Brown. You could still take him over Amon Ross St. Brown. Players that we love, yep. right? Um, but I think, you know, the, the one name that I would for sure take over Adams, given the news that I wasn't before was, is CD lamb. Um, so I've been trying to take advantage of it, to be honest, Ian, like with him sliding around to, into the second round now, uh, right now he's picked 14 on underdog. Um, I think once we get good news on Jimmy G, people will probably come to their senses. I don't think he can, he can go after Garrett Wilson and some of these other guys. Um, so I've, I've been trying to take advantage of it while I can because it's tougher for me to click on his name sometimes in the first round, because if he gets back to where he was before in ADP, I've got to do it over Austin Eckler and some other things. So I'm, I'm trying to take advantage right now. I'm with you. I wasn't drafting all that much of him until this kind of little dip has happened. And now I can get him at that round early parts of round two. Yeah. Sign me up, man. So again, it's another good example of, especially when we're doing this in June, you can have these many blips on the radar that we might it's, not even remember when September comes around and now we get to take advantage of it. Exactly. It's one of these great examples of, look, we're all trying to do our best at this. And I love how much everybody in our industry, we dig into these things but you kind of start splicing everything down. It can easily be one of those where we look up in week five and Devonte Adams is the number one wide receiver in the NFL by a nice margin. Like, I mean, he could be, you know, he's got the talent to still do it. And everybody's like, man, like why do we talk ourselves into moving Devonte Adams? Like out of the first round, like why were we so sure he should go after Garrett Wilson? Like, I think that's very easily something that could be, you know, a conversation. Um, I, I think going below Garrett Wilson, in my opinion, is just, it's too far. Agreed with you there. Let's talk about these other guys. And this is a tough one. I think we'll know a lot more in a couple of weeks. We got to find out if Hunter Renfro is still going to be on this team. He's been someone that's been in trade rumors all throughout the offseason. But as every day goes on, it's looking more and more likely that he could still be a member of the Raiders. Uh, great follow. Someone that, you know, we've had in the podcast here before, Hayden Winks, did a good job just scanning the athletic world. So shout out to Hayden and the athletic, obviously. But basically, the athletics Raiders reporters are split on if Renfro will remain with the team. They're only going to save 470K via a release, and they would have $12 million in debt cap so they basically have to get this done with a trade and unless they're going to redo this deal the team that trades for him would owe roughly about seven million dollars so hardly sounds like a given to me Dwayne that Renfro is going to be out of the picture now Renfro is like free out here and shout out to Fantasy Life CEO Elliot Chris my god man the amount of exposure he has to Renfro <laughs> get it because if Renfro stays with the Raiders, he's not going to be going as the wide receiver 80. And if a team thinks enough of him to trade for that $7 million cap hit, he's also going to be going higher than wide receiver 80. I just wonder just how high of a ceiling it is. So, Hey, again, at that price point, you're not going to find guys that I think are going to be making that big of a jump even before the season starts in ADP. So I'm cool with that, but man, 
if we do get each of Adams, Renfro, and Myers out there, I think we're going to have a hard time squeezing either Myers or Renfro into the weekly top 50. Yeah, I think the thing with Renfro, though, like what you're looking for in some of these late round picks is you're just looking for somebody that's actually done it before. And like just the year before that, he was in the wide receiver one conversation on a weekly basis. Um, you know, so well, time to be alive, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've seen him do it. A lot can happen. Um, and he could be the number two target on this team ahead of Jacoby Myers. Like, that could easily be the way this plays out. So, I just feel like he's just, you know, he's just underpriced. I think the other thing with Renfro is people forget that he got hurt last year. Like, he started off the season pretty strong. And I mean, he had a 18% target share week one, then he had a 26% target share. That was that game against Arizona where they lost in overtime. He picked up concussion, missed the next two games, comes back with a 15% target share, and eventually gets shut down in week 10 and doesn't come back again until the end of the season. But again, flashes. Week 16, 25% target share was the wide receiver, 27, 14.2 points. Week 18 had a 22% target share with Devontae Adams on the team, and that was 19.3 points in a PPR format. He was the wide receiver, 8 last year in week 18. So, I don't think his talent suddenly disappeared. I think we had a player that early started off fine, got hurt, eventually had to be shut down for a while. It would not surprise me at all if Hunter Renfro is the wide receiver two. At worst, he's the wide receiver three on the Raiders this year. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is going, right, and they get into these shootouts, it could be the kind of thing that forces them to play more 11 personnel. It could be the kind of thing that really opens up the route tree. That's where I was wrong last year on Renfro. The biggest thing that where I was so positive on him, Ian, a, he played really well the year before, but B, I really thought that Josh McDaniels would allow, would run more 11 personnel. Like historically, he had always found ways to keep his slot wide receiver on the field. Um, you know, whether we're talking about Julian Edelman, whether we're talking about Jacoby Myers, you know, he would play them at the Z position. And then whenever they would go to three wide, he'd kick them inside. That didn't come to fruition last year because what you mentioned earlier, Mac Hollins won that other outside role, mainly because what I can understand, they liked him as a blocker, right? And they just wanted to play this more physical brand of football, let Josh Jacobs eat and do his thing. And that was the big thing that, that caught me by surprise. So that's where I'm not going to overestimate this year. Like, so if they're in games where they're leading or it's really close, he might only be out there 60% of the routes, but when they get in these shootout kind of games, He'll have a chance to be on the field 75, 80% of the time. And those will be the contests where I think also like when they're trailing and defenses go into like these shell coverages, guess who's wide open? The slot receiver who's playing underneath, you know, that's just slicing up linebackers and safeties and coverage. So I think there are paths to, to Renfro doing well. I think he will be tougher to use in season long to know when you're going to start him. Cause we don't know when those weeks are going to come. Maybe we can use game scripts, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, it's going to be a blowout. Let's use Hunter Renfro this week, right? You know, Raiders are favored or their dog, their seven point dogs. It's a Hunter Renfro week. We'll see how all that plays out. But in best ball, you don't have to worry about it. Like you don't have to predict when that's going to happen. You just know you're going to get some of those. He's going behind guys like John Mechie, Jalen Hyatt, Khalil Shakur, who like literally might not start a game this season. Like that's where you yeah, have him 73 overall. Like, so he's just a guy that I make sure I have above ADP. Like when I'm updating, like, cause he's at 80 right now on underdog. So I think he's being underdrafted. And if he moves up from there, like I think the ceiling that I would push him to, cause you kind of mentioned that a minute ago is probably in the Darnell Mooney, Rondell Moore, Michael Gallup range, like somewhere in there will probably be the highest. I would push him no matter what kind of, news we heard some other names that are in that group tyler boyd zay jones guys like that 
that's honestly where Jacoby Myers is going right now. And I've had a hard time clicking on that, Dwayne, because I do think once, if or when, Renfro is going to be still on the Raiders this year and we get that news, Myers could be the one that slides just a little bit and him and Hunter end up going next to each other in a similar Panthers and maybe some of those Texans wide receivers. So I have not been clicking on Jacoby all that often. He's going next to running backs like Rashad Penny, Devin A-Chain, even Elijah May. You know, at that point in the draft, I've usually been going out of my way to try to get four or five receivers and just haven't felt the need to go too far in on Jacoby. Again, not a bad player. He was the wide receiver 29 in PPR points per game last season, but he sure as hell is not going to demand targets over Devontae Adams. And I do think that, you know, when you do look at Myers and just over the years, man, being the pretty undisputed number one in those Patriots offenses that had no one else to throw the ball to. They gave him, you know, pretty much Juju Schuster money for a reason in Vegas. So I think he'll be out there and everything. So until Renfro is out of the picture, I'm not going to be clicking on Myers' name all that often. Your thoughts? Um, you know, Myers is an interesting one because, like, when I just, you know, when I work through my process, like I start with the tiers and we have the talent plus the team situation. And then ultimately, I take all those things and use them to do projections. And when I do projections, you know, I really have to, you know, even study the players more in depth as to what they've done in the past. And, you know, the projections helped him some to where I'm now willing to click on him some, you know, because I, I do feel like Myers is probably going to play the Z. There's chances he kicks inside some when they go to 11 personnel. Um, not sure that Hunter Renfro will exclusively get up, exclusively get all the slot stuff. The biggest challenge for me, you know, with Myers is the range he goes in, Ian, is in a range where I'm pretty much usually trying to grab my QB or my QB2. Or I'm staring down maybe a running back that slid a little bit that I like, yeah. you know, that's, you know, because we've talked about this before, like picks, basically like picks 90 to 125. There's a lot of running backs that you can take in that range. And, and you know, you're picking up some upside there. And I've often, because the way underdog works, I've already drafted a lot of wide receivers by then. So where I have been trying to, to get a little more exposure to Jacoby Myers is in those builds where I did, I wasn't as strong at wide receiver early on, or Maybe I've got two rookies already on my team. Maybe I've got Jordan Addison and I've got Quentin Johnston. And while we feel good about those players over the course of a year, you talked about it, you know, in our previous episode of these, you know, there are times when these rookies can start slow, right? You can see Josh Palmer play ahead of Quentin Johnson for three games. Is it going to last all season? Probably not. You know, Jordan Addison might start off the season behind KJ Osborne for a couple of games. Going to happen all year? Probably not. But on a team like that, I've been more willing to come back and grab like a Jacoby Myers, um, you know, and put him on the team because he has been a consistent target earner, you know, and it's, we know that if you aren't good, you can't earn targets. That's the easiest way to know if a wide receiver is good. Now there's certain times we can caveat it and be like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, like 10% of their targets were on screen plays or something weird, but that that's not been the case for Jacoby Myers. Like he has been someone that's earned targets, you know, in the intermediate areas of the field. Yes. He's got to work from the slot, but like he, he knows what he's doing. So I've been trying to work him in a little bit on those certain types of builds. It's just hard to prioritize him. Now, if I've already got a really strong wide receiver room in and I'm in that range of the draft and I'm thinking about taking a wide receiver, I'm usually not taking Myers because I'm just waiting around because I love Nico Collins, right? Or I'd rather take the upside of a Jonathan Mingo. So he's kind of like my Jarek McKinnon of wide receivers. It depends on what my build looks like. He and Alan Lazard, Ian, I moved Alan Lazard up in my ranks. Did you ever think you would hear me say those words? Holy shit. In your life. Now it wasn't far. <laughs> it was like three spots. Yeah. Like it's going to floor you, but he and Alan Lazard, I really have in the same tier, 
And so they're kind of those two guys that if I start my build off at wide receiver a certain way, that I will come back and take, you know, a Jacoby Myers or an Alan Lazard just to give me some points early in the year until maybe my rookies can come on. And then maybe I grab an upside play like Nico Collins or Mingo the round after. Say Jones had there too. Yes. Gallup. I mean, I do think there are some darts worth throwing that range, but again, usually having done enough of these drafts, I'm just getting my wide receivers elsewhere. So I don't necessarily disagree with where Myers is being ranked relative to the wide receivers, but again, as we just discussed, not usually the first guy's name we're clicking on because of the overall draft strategy. Speaking of the overall draft strategy, Dwayne, you've already had QBs and RBs uh, go out your optimal roster construction on fantasylife.com that everyone can check out wide receivers next week. Uh, no wide receiver is this week. It will wow. come, it will hit on Wednesday and then tight ends will hit on Friday this week. My man's is absolutely grinding. Make sure you guys check that out over at fancylife.com. Close things out here with tight end. We did get second round tight end, Michael Mayer, considered by many to be the number one tight end on the board. He is now a Las Vegas Raider. Also have Austin Hooper and OJ Howard, who each got one year deals to go join the Raiders. I will say Hooper got actually 2.1 million guaranteed. Howard just 450K. So if one of them is going to be cut, it's probably going to be OJ Howard, or maybe they both stay there. It's just tough, man. You look at it, the dominator score, I mean, the target share. Like, I fully realize why Michael Mayer was receiving as much hype as he did coming out, but it's just so tough for these rookie tight ends to do pretty much anything in fantasy land. Last 10 years, only Jordan Reed, Evan Ingram, and Kyle Pitts put forward top 12 performances in terms of PPR points per game throughout the season. Pitts and Ingram benefited from Calvin Ridley and Odo Beckham suffering injuries and being out of the picture for those stretches. So, really, I just worry about mayor being on the field enough man maybe we look up at the end of week one and the raiders are just so impressed by him he immediately plays in every snap role but even if austin hooper isn't going to take away mayors you know potential lead the room in targets i do think hooper is still good enough and we've seen over the past few years to be you know the progress stopper type to go out there and just play enough so that mayor isn't able to get the routes that we need in fantasy land so great prospect you know put him in there next to trey mcbride and kate otten if you want to take him in round 18 as your third or fourth tight end okay you know, again, we're talking about guys going outside the top 200. It's tough to be too overly critical about it. But Dwayne, I think he needs an injury to Adams and he needs to see McDaniels just say, you know, Austin Hooper, thanks, but no thanks. Go find yourself a nice seat on the bench in order for him to really meet expectations and specifically 2023 future still very bright for the guy. Yeah, you're still going to love Michael Mayer uh, in your dynasty leagues. I, I still think he ultimately, like if I am putting a chip on any Raiders tight end, it is going to be him. Yeah, And it's just with the last pick, you know, um, the one thing we don't want to hear about rookies is when they're not participating early on in camp and they're not getting the work, especially at the tight end position. That is something that I do care about. Um, yeah, I get it. It's only OTA, OTAs. It's only mini camps, those sort of things. But you just don't want to see a guy like him fall behind. Um, so I think now he's in the range where before, you know, all of that, like I felt fine taking him, you know, around the range a little after where you would take Laporta guys like that. But now his ADP has also fallen so far. You don't have to, you can wait. So I'm still taking Michael Mayer in the last round. Sometimes, um, there are times where, you know, I will take him and Jimmy G together. There's times where I've taken him and Jimmy G and run Hunter Renfro, like in three out of my last four picks, just depending on what's happening in the draft. Not saying you go do that every time, but there are other tight ends like, you know, Luke Musgrave, right? Who's really already been working with all the starters. And when we look at the depth chart, it's like, well, really, who else do the Packers have, right? They have another rookie. 
Um, so I, I feel like some guys, to your point, do have an easier path. But I, I, again, I think Michael Mayer is a hyper talented guy, popped so huge in the rookie tight end model for us. Um, a guy that broke out very early in college, demanded a lot of targets early on. Um, so I like him. But yes, there are some questions with Austin Hooper and other things. So really just a last round pick as your tight end three type of, of uh, selection. I popped him to a slightly slower Gerald Everett, Dwayne. So, you know, I love the guy. Again, it's just more about <laughs> getting the actual opportunity out there. You know, nine times out of 10, going to be fading these rookie tight ends. Takes us to the win total, stuck at a lowly six and a half. Dwayne already mentioned, again, the general negativity that Vegas has towards his squad. Minus 115 juice on the over. Last year, this team did have an expected 7.9 and 9.1 record. So, they actually underachieved a little bit. But, you know, this was also due to one absolute brutal blown lead after another early in the season three 17 plus point leads wiped out in the first eight games alone so don't see this team going four nine and one score games again but man having to go from car to hopefully jimmy g is pretty rough you know still operating in arguably the single best division in football i gotta take under six and a half wins for this team Dwayne. don't feel that strongly about it though again i could see this team being just a competitive but not very good you know seven and ten eight and nine sort of squad so far we've broken down the chiefs the chargers and Raiders, I feel far better about taking the Chargers over than I do the Raiders under. Yeah, I hate to just agree, but <laughs> like, I mean, I think you just nailed it. Um, Thanks, that's man. the way I see them being a team that might win seven games, and we yeah, we wouldn't be surprised. But give me the under. You know, um, it's just too hard to get overly excited about it in a division um, where I also think the Broncos are going to be a much better team this year. And with that, going to wrap up another edition of the Fantasy Live Podcast. Just one more team preview to go, everyone. Can't thank you enough for listening along with us. And yeah, you can catch all the replays on our YouTube channel, Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to us right now. Written forms up on the website from yours truly. And yeah, also got a free newsletter you guys should probably subscribe to because it's free and uh, it'll make you a smarter football fan and maybe even just have a good time in general. So with all that said, for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in to Fantasy Live Podcast. And until next time take care everybody